Praise God, my work's a lot easier today. <laughs> Not knowing how the vote was going to go made me pray a lot, which God didn't have any problem with. But when I heard while I was in Michigan this week that uh, the vote had gone through, I was praising the Lord and excited about the message that he has for us this morning. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning. <clears throat> Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the indwelling Holy Spirit in the previous chapter. And he says now in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we take this time to allow you to speak to us from your word, I thank you for the fact that we are gathered today with an idea of what is coming in the future, and the fact that we can see, at least in our eyes, that we have a pastor coming, and he's coming at in November, and we're excited about these things. But Lord, as has already been prayed by Jason, Father, keep our eyes on you. And you're going to speak to us this morning about the abiding relationship. And Father, you want to use me, and so I surrender myself to you right now for your purposes. Lord, as you know, our role, our job as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, or to equip the saints, not only for the work of the ministry, but also to point them to you, so that they may grow up into you, who are the head. Keep us as pastors from having people follow us and our strategies and our plans. And may we be used of you to point people to Jesus. And so, Lord, that's my goal today. My desire is this, this opportunity I've been given to bring your message to these folks who have come to love over the last few months. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing here, and we give you praise, but we're as human as anybody else, and our tendencies to fall back into the flesh is on a daily basis, so it's going to be a struggle for us, and we need your grace. We need your mercies every morning. We thank you that they're new every morning. And so, Father, this morning as you use me to bring this message, I pray that you would fill me and control me in such a way that only your words come out and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that this would not just be another Sunday where we said we had good music and we had good preaching and then we go to lunch. Father, may this be a message that takes root in such a way that in the weeks and months and years to come with the new pastor coming in, that this truth would stay in our hearts. And we'd live it out by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before we get into our passage this morning, I want to read something to you that I found back in 1994. This is actually a story 
from a woman's magazine. Don't ask me why I was reading a woman's magazine. Just leave it alone. But this story illustrates who it is that we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking to you about the lost art of abiding. Abiding is not something we do very often or very well, unfortunately, in the church today. And I want to talk to you about abiding. But before we get into that, I want to introduce you a little bit more and fresh and anew to who this God is that wants us to abide with Him. This is a story, a true story, written by a lady in a woman's magazine back in 94. And she tells her own personal experience. And I just really feel like it illustrates who God is in a wonderful way. This lady writes, and she says, if you're in the right relationship with God, no matter how big or how small the need, He'll take care of you. Two years ago, she says, my finances hit rock bottom. I found myself running out of everything, and to top it all off, I ran out of toilet paper. Now, such a little thing, but until you reach rock bottom, you don't know how major a little thing like that can become. I'd used up the last of it, and had used up just about everything that could be substituted. I didn't know what to do until payday. I was too embarrassed to ask friends to loan me, of all things, a roll of toilet paper, and here I was, 33 years old, a Christian, and I couldn't afford basic household supplies. What kind of victorious life was that? As the day wore on, I became more depressed. Then I remembered Mark eleven twenty four, where it says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I know God answers prayer. I know that Philippians 4, 6 told me not to worry about anything. I knew I was to pray about everything. I knew I was to tell God about my needs. I knew all that, but I hadn't done it. Instead, I sank into self-pity and defeat. Then suddenly I decided to take him at his word. He said everything, so I was going to pray for everything, including toilet paper. I prayed right then. I told God that there were much greater needs in the world, but right now I needed a little toilet paper. And strangely, I confess, I felt like he would provide, and I thanked God and went to bed. At midnight, I awoke and walked to the bathroom. Then I remembered there wasn't any paper. Now what was I to do? I cried out through my tears, God, where are you? I did what you said I was supposed to do, and I need toilet paper right now. Just then, the doorbell rang three times. It startled me. Who would be here this time of night? I hesitated. I threw on my robe, turned on the front porch light, and I cautiously opened the front door just a crack. There was no one there. I looked out toward the street, and then I saw it. Someone had toilet papered my yard. <laughs> for, a while, for a few seconds, I stood there in stunned disbelief, but then I ran out and began gathering up the tissue. Unashamedly, I said, thank you, God. Thank you. You did it. The next day, my neighbors confessed that they had been sitting around the previous evening th trying to think of something funny to do. Then about midnight, someone suggested, let's toilet paper Linda's yard. So they did. We thought you'd lost your mind, they told me. We thought you might be upset, but instead we saw you running around the yard yelling, praise God. <laughs> well, I assured them, you may have done the actual papering, but God sent it. And I can't help but think that God chuckled when he answered my prayer for such a little thing. Isn't that neat? I want to talk to you about the abiding relationship today. And I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on God. If you remember last week's message, we looked at the fact that there's a tendency for people to put their eyes on man and to take them off of God. We thank God that He's provided a pastor for you in such a short period of time. As has already been said by Jason, this is rare, folks. Take it from someone that's been doing this for many, many years. This is rare 
and you've been blessed in this way, but there's a tendency to go, oh good, we've got a pastor, everything's going to be okay. And in doing so, you've just taken your eyes off of God and put them back on man. Now let me just encourage you from this passage this morning. Now let me kind of set the stage as well. If you know in chapter 13, Jesus has just been teaching them in the upper room about service and about, uh, actually about sanctification. That's another whole message for another time. And they've taken the Lord's Supper together. He's been teaching on the fact that the Holy Spirit's been with them, but He's going to be in them. And on that day, they'll realize that He's in them and they're in Him and that He's in the Father. And Now He moves on to the abiding teaching here. But I think there's a possibility that at this point, they've moved out of the upper room and probably are either on their way or in the garden. As you know, after that night, they take the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn, and then they left, and they went to the garden to pray, and that's where Jesus was arrested. There's a strong chance that by the time we get to chapter 15, they've already left the upper room, and they're probably near some grapevines, either in the garden or on the way to the garden. Jesus was a master at the teachable moment. I don't know if you've ever noticed that Jesus didn't do His discipleship like we do discipleship. We, we set up discipleship classes and we have today we're going to cover this and next week we're going to cover that and so on. But Jesus never got up one morning and said, hey, today's lesson is on prayer. No. Jesus would take teachable moments. If you actually go back and look at Luke chapter 11, you'll notice that Jesus was spending much time in prayer and the disciples come to Him and they say, teach us to pray. And and then he begins to teach them. I believe this is another one of those teachable moments. Whereas he's taking them to the garden and he knows there's something he wants to communicate to them and there's probably grapevines in the area. He probably is pointing out the grapevines and he says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser, the gardener. You're the branches. And then he says something very interesting here and, and I think some translations have wrestled with this. He says, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then he says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Let me just kind of break this down for you. The NIV actually translates, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. We get a picture of that with the takes away. And definitely the Bible does teach that if you are not producing fruit in the fact that you're not attached to Jesus, you will be burned. You will be. We see that in verse 7. Look at verse verse 6. Is if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So the Bible does teach that if you're not in Christ and you're not producing, you're not a part of Him, you're going to be cast away. But I'm not so sure that the first thing Jesus says to them as He's teaching them about the abiding relationship is, if you're not producing fruit, I'm cutting you off. And I think I can show you from Scripture, and from if you know anything about growing grapes, that there's a chance that what Jesus is saying here, instead of takes away, I want you to use the word picks up. The Greek word here in the, in the Greek is the Greek word aero, A-I-R-O. And it's translated in many different ways in the Bible, but most of the time it's a picking up. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. Put a bookmark here in John chapter 15 and go with me to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 20. It's the end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And look at verse 20. It says, And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 
12 basket, baskets full of the broken pieces left over. By the way, what's translated took up here is the Greek word arrow. It's a picture of picking, picking something up. Let me give you another example. Go to Matthew chapter 27 and look at verse 32. In Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 32. As they went out, Jesus is on his way to be crucified. He's carrying his cross. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him, this man to carry his cross. By the way, the word carry in the Greek is the word arrow. It's a picture of picking something up. I'm going to suggest to you, and Bruce Wilkinson in his, in his book Secrets of the Vine brings this out as well, that most likely Jesus was looking at some grapevines, and if you know anything about growing grapes, you know that if the branch goes down along the ground, it doesn't produce any fruit because it's covered in dirt and doesn't get the air and the sunlight that it needs. But a gardener that sees a branch growing along the ground doesn't immediately cut it off. What they do is they pick it up, they wash it off, and they tie it up on the trellis so that it'll get air and sunlight in the hopes that it will produce fruit. There's a chance that what Jesus is saying is, is I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener. And if a branch is in me and it's not producing fruit, I, he's going to pick it up so that it will. You see, there's a picture of cleansing. They pick up the branch and they wash it off and they tie it up on the trellis. And then he goes in that same context and says, and if a branch is producing fruit, he prunes it so that it produces more fruit. By the way, that word prune in the Greek has a picture of cleansing as well. And then what does he say in verse 3? Already you are what? Clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I want to suggest to you that as much as the Bible does teach that those who pretend to be in Christ but aren't in Christ and aren't producing fruit, aren't in the abiding relationship, will be cast away. The Bible is very clear about that. I want to suggest to you that the first thing Jesus said to them was not, if you're not producing fruit, I'll cut you off or take you away. That any branch in me that's not producing fruit, he picks it up so that it will. And then he prunes the ones that are, so they'll produce more fruit. And you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. God's desire is that you bear fruit. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at how many times the bear fruit is brought out. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. All right. Uh, and then look again, every branch that does bear fruit. Look again at the end of verse uh, 2, uh, that it may bear more fruit. Look at verse 4. Abide me and I in you as a branch cannot, what? Bear fruit. But unless, and then look again at verse uh, 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Look at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit. By the way, do you think God's kind of interested in producing fruit through us? Oh, by the way, he's not just interested in producing fruit through Daniel Holmquist. He's desiring to produce fruit through every branch in Him. And that includes you. God wants you to produce fruit. Our job as shepherds and pastors and teachers is to equip you so that you can produce fruit. Feed you the Word. Teach you the Word. You've had a pastor for the last five years that has blessed you with that. You've been fed the Word with the meat of the Word by Pastor Sean. But it's not so that you can say, man, I've got all this knowledge. It's so that you'll produce fruit. But there's another aspect of this producing fruit that we need to understand is if we try to go out and produce fruit on our own, how are we going to do? How many of us have tried to live for Jesus? doesn't work. Go back to what he says next here in chapter 15, verse 4. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to talk to you this morning about abiding. I want to talk to you about how to abide. But here's the problem. Abide is not a word we use in our language, is it? If I were to come alongside one of you ladies and say, how about you and I abide? You'd say, can we have a chaperone? What does that mean? So what I want to do this morning, instead of trying to teach you how to abide, I'm going to teach you how to abide by teaching you what will pull you out of the abiding relationship and how to avoid those things. And when you avoid the things that will pull you out of the abiding relationship, guess what? You'll be in the abiding relationship. Now, before we move any further, can any of you help me out? What are some other words that we use, and there are many, by the way, that might help us today in our vernacular to describe abiding? What's another way of describing abiding? Remaining. Go ahead. I heard walk. Who said walk? Excellent. Walk. Walk in the light. Go ahead. Keep going. There's many. Go ahead, Joe. I in you and you and me, that's that relationship. Go ahead. Keep going. There's many. Go ahead. A sojourn. Yeah, a journey. We're going to be getting to journey today. I love that. Dwell. I love. I love that. How about hang out? How about trust? How about depend? Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 6 real quick. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Pray that you get this verse in your heart. Look at what it says. It says, Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, in the same way in which you received Him as Lord, walk in Him. By the way, how did you receive Jesus as Lord? By faith. You heard the message of salvation. You believed it was true. You heard that God said through His Word and by His Spirit that if you understand that you are broken and sinner before God and that you are not righteous and able to be righteous before God, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. If you're able to keep all of God's law, James 2 verse 10 says, but you stumble at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all. When you realize you cannot, you heard the message that you cannot be righteous before God on your own, but then God provided a way for you to be righteous by sending His own Son. God Himself came down in human form and took on flesh. And He lived in a human body just like yours and mine without sin. And then God punished Him instead of you and me. And He rose from the dead and now offers salvation for those who would believe. When you heard that message of salvation, you believed it was true. You asked God to do it. And you walked out of that encounter believing that it was done, correct? In the same way that you received Him as Lord, we're to walk Him on a daily basis. We're to know what He's promised, what it means to live the Christian life, to live without fear, without worry, without anxiety. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're to run this race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're to believe that what He said He will do, He who calls you is faithful and what? He will surely do it. I'm confident of this very thing that He who began this good work in you, what? Will finish it. Who's the author and the perfecter of our faith? It's Jesus. Folks, let me tell you, the Bible says for us to abide, we need to believe what the Word says, act like it's true, ask Him to do it, 
and walk out of that encounter on a daily basis believing that he will do it. But again, we don't really know how to do that as well. And we tend to get sucked into things that pull us out of the abiding relationship. And I want to talk to you about those. Let me give you a couple of phrases. Here's the first one. Focus on the process, not the product. You see, we've been taught to measure results. I've talked about this already in previous messages. We've been taught that we're to measure how we're doing and measure numbers and church attendance and the offering and the, whether or not we're meeting budget. Many of you grew up like I did, and the front of your church was the plaques on each side of the wall that had how many were in Sunday school last week and how much the offering was. You remember what I'm talking about? We've been taught to measure results and measure the product, and that sounds good, makes sense in the business world, but the Bible actually doesn't teach us to focus on the product. The Bible teaches us to focus on the process and leave the results to who? To Jesus. Go, go back to first. Uh, so John chapter 15, look at verse 5 again. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen closely. When? Don't worry, not your job. How? Don't worry, not your job. Our focus should not be producing results. Our focus should be what? Abiding, the process. What He teaches us to do on a daily basis is to walk with Him and to listen to what He's saying and do what He says and leave the results to Him. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 3 from last week. One plants, another waters. Who's the one that provides the growth? It's God. All through the Scripture, the Bible says the results are up to God, not us. But we've been taught to try to produce results. And we sit around in our churches today measuring results. I come from a Southern Baptist background. That's where I got my degree in seminary degree. It was in, in New Orleans Theological Seminary in New Orleans. And I'm a Southern Baptist by background. And, but let me tell you something about Southern Baptists. They have a thing called the annual church profile. It's paperwork they have to fill out every year to the convention to report how many in Sunday school and how many in worship and how many in choir practice and how many in children's, all compared to last year. And they keep giving out awards for per capita giving and more bapt most baptisms and all this kind of stuff. And we've been taught to measure results. And you know what it does? It pulls you out of the abiding relationship. Because if you're faithful to the Scriptures, sometimes God asks you to be faithful to the process and the results don't happen for a while. Let me just remind you of a few things. Let's take David. Remember when David was anointed by, king, by, by Samuel to be the next king? Does anybody know how many years it was between when he was anointed as the king and when he actually became king? It was 15 years. 15 years. He was anointed the king, but he wasn't, didn't become king for a while. Anybody know about Joseph and his dream? And how he's been given the vision by God that he was going to have his family bow down to him? Does anybody want to know how long it was between when uh, Joseph had the vision and when his family actually came and bowed down to him? Anybody want to take a guess? It was 20. 20 years. 20 years later, his family finally bows down to him. Oh, let's take Abraham. He's promised by God he's going to be a mighty nation. 
And I bet you, as soon as he heard from God, he ran home and put the do not disturb sign on the tent. Guess what happened? And we want to guess how many years it is between the promise and when Isaac was finally born? 25. You see the problem with measuring results? God's in charge of the results. But sometimes God calls us to be faithful even if there are, quote-unquote, no apparent results. How many years did Noah preach? The Bible says he preached for 120 years. How many people got in the boat with him? Just his family. Was he a failure? No, he did what God called him to do. Folks, listen to me. If you focus, as Daniel comes, on the results, it'll pull you out of the abiding relationship. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and I, my words abide in you, you will produce fruit. When? Don't worry. How? Not your job. I want you just to focus. By the way, those of you that are raising or have raised teenagers, you understand this, right? If you're going to be a godly parent, you need to focus on the process, not the product when you're raising teenagers. Because if you focus on the product when you're raising teenagers, there'll be days you want to kill them. Because they ain't coming out like you would hope they would come out. But if you're a godly parent, you can be faithful to the process. And you're going to trust God for the results. And many of you who have lived have seen God do a work, and you look back at your kid's life and you say, wow, look at what God's done, because I didn't see that coming. People look at me now and, and, and uh, they, they think I'm successful. Boy, if you had seen me back in my early years... I floundered for a while. That's one of the ways I can encourage my kids as they're in their 20s and they're struggling with what's going to happen next in my life. They want to be married and all these things. And I've been able to come alongside of them and say, look, you're seeing dad and mom at this stage of our life. But when I was your age, I was working McDonald's and flipping burgers and I didn't know what was going to happen next in my life. But God had a plan and he's got a plan for yours. And you just walk with him and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. So that's the first thing I want to say to you to stay in the abiding relationship when the new pastor comes, and even between now and then, you focus on what God's Word says to do. You leave the results to God. And if you catch yourselves measuring results to see whether or not you're doing good, I promise you it'll pull you out of the abiding relationship. You don't want to do that. Here's the second phrase I want to give you today. Focus on the journey, not the destination. Focus on the journey, not the destination. I'm sure many of you over the years have taken your kids on a long drive in the minivan. What's the inevitable question from the back seat? Are we there yet? How much further? Our kids used to always ask that, and I would always answer the same way. I'd say, two more miles. And then an hour later, they'd go, we're still driving. How much further, Dad? Two more miles. Well, as our kids got a little older, and I have two daughters, and then our son's the youngest, one day we were driving on a family trip, and we're in the minivan, and my son's right behind me, and he says, um, how much further? And my, I, my typical response was what I did. I said, two more miles. And my daughters leaned over and said to him, that means be quiet. <laughs> I realized probably not doing a great job as a dad in teaching my kid. I'm just telling him to shut up. And so I started to change things at that moment. I said, AJ, you know why we're driving? It's not because airplane tickets are so expensive. It's also because the journey's a part of the destination. Put your iPad down. 
Close your books. Look out your window for a little bit. I want you to enjoy the journey. The journey's a part of the destination. And I remember our kids starting to ask questions like, what's that? That's a silo. What's a silo? How come my ears are hurting? Well, we're actually up high. We're in the mountains right now. Remember when you're on the airplane and, and your ears hurt? We're actually very high in the air right now, but we're in a mountain. That's why your ears hurt like that. And, and you have to realize, our, we live in Florida, and so kids get a speed bump when they're little. They're like, do it again, do it again. If you look at the Scripture, God's more interested in the journey than He is the destination. Abraham, by the way, got focused on the product instead of the process. And he got focused on the destination instead of the journey. And he was miserable during those 25 years. Have you ever looked at, his, at the Scriptures? He's complaining the whole time. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? It looks like in chapter 15, he says, look like Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my son. My servant. God comes to him and says, no. Um, run this race with perseverance, my friend. You keep your eyes on me. It's not going to be your son. I made you a promise, and it's going to be a child from your own body. Well, unfortunately, they get to chapter 16, and Sarah says, well, he didn't say my body. And they say, well, maybe God wants us to do that. You see what happened? Because they were focused on the product and the destination instead of the journey and the process, they began to come up with ways that would produce results. And by the way, listen to me. They did produce results. And the results we're dealing with the consequences today. Let me take you on a little journey that might be interesting for some of you. You can double check me, but if you go back to Genesis 22 one day and you take a look at where God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And he says to him, he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him for me on the mountain that I'll show you. Let me ask you a question. When God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, how many sons did he have? He had two. Ishmael and Isaac. But God says, take your son, your only son whom you love. Some people say, well, Jim, he only loved Isaac. He didn't love Ishmael. Yes, he did. Read your Bibles, folks. In Genesis 17, he cries out to God and says, oh, that your promise, your blessing would come through Ishmael. God loved Ishmael. Don't hear me wrong in what I'm about to say because God loved Ishmael. God is the one that provided for him in, in Hagar when Sarah chased him out into the desert to have him killed. God's the one that showed up and gave him food and water and made promises to them. God loved Ishmael. Then why does God say, take your son, your only son? Listen to me. Because Ishmael was of the flesh. His own energy and whatever we do through the flesh counts for nothing before God. You see, the, we, we can all quote, apart from me, you can do nothing. We all quote that. But folks, the church over the last 50 years has focused on results and producing results, and we've measured results for years, but it's been of the flesh. We've done a lot. There was the church growth movement. I've been to seminary. I was taught the church growth spirals. And once you get to a certain size, you've got to do this to get to the next size. And once you can do this, you've got to do the next size. And we've been sold a bill of goods and it pulled us out of the abiding relationship. And God has a tendency to sit back and say, knock yourselves out. Go ahead. 
kind of what he did with the feeding of the 5,000, isn't it? He says, you feed them. Of course, they panicked and pulled their calculators out. Eight months' wages won't be enough to give everyone a bite. And that's how we focused as a church. Have we not for years sat around looking at whether or not we can meet budget, whether or not we have to cut this or do that, instead of the abiding relationship where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll just abide with me and walk with me in the same way in which you received me as Lord, you to walk with me on a daily basis, you'll never figure me out but I'll give you what my next step is, what my will is, my good, pleasing, perfect will. As you lay your flesh on the altar on, every daily, on a daily basis, I'll walk you through it. And I will produce fruit. And here's the thing. Some of it may be fruit we never get to see this side of heaven. By the way, do you think the thief on the cross got to see any of the fruit that was produced in his life? But you know, God's used the thief on the cross tremendously to let people know that right to your dying day, God offers salvation. People that think it's too late for them have heard the story of the thief on the cross. And every time someone sees that and the Spirit of God brings them to salvation, cha-ching! The thief on the cross is rewarded in heaven for something he never did nor got to see. Folks, let me just tell you, if you want to experience the real growth of what happens in this church spiritually, which may be numerically, it may not be. Stay in the abiding relationship by focusing on the process and not the product, and focusing on the journey and not the destination. One of the problems with focusing on the destination is sometimes God tells us to head to a direct destination that He never intends us ever to arrive at. Many of you who've lived long enough to know, you can see how God moved you at one point in your life and you thought you were going to be there for a long time, but you're only there for a brief period of time and then He moved you into the next place. If you think back in your minds to Acts chapter 8 where God tells Philip to leave Samaria, head down the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Did he ever make it to Gaza? Come on, you know your Bibles. Did he ever make it to Gaza? No, God told him to leave Samaria, head down the road that goes to Gaza, but he never made it to Gaza. Why? Because as he was heading in the direction he believed God was leading him. Plans are okay as long as you're prayerfully listening as you go. The Spirit tells him to go over to the chariot, and he leads the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And as he's baptized, the Bible says he disappeared. By the way, any of you Star Trek fans? God was beaming people up long before and transporting people long before Star Trek came up with it. He'd come up out of the water and boom, he's in Azotus. But what if, what if Philip had been focused on, I'm to go to Gaza? And here's this guy over here saying, hey, you want to come talk to me about, the, uh, about Jesus and Isaiah? Sorry, God's told me to go to, go to Gaza. Hmm. We think we're doing well by getting focused on our destination, setting our goals. By the way, haven't we been told that one in the church? Your vision statement, your mission statement, your goals. And it pulls us out of the abiding relationship. I think God's already told us in some of the messages I've preached here what we're to focus on. Getting to know Jesus better and loving each other more and everything else falls into place. Paul very wisely lived his life with plans, but at the same time, those plans were being led of the Spirit. 
I want to be in Rome. I want, I want to go to Spain. I, I want to go here. But I want to be there, but I'm listening to the Lord. I'm supposed to stay here for a little longer. And one day I hope to get there. And in Acts chapter 16, he tries to go into Asia, but the Spirit won't let him. And then he tries to go into Mysia, but the Spirit won't let him. He's listening. And he has a dream of a man of Macedonia come, saying, come and preach the gospel to us. And then he knew that that's where God wanted him to go. So he goes in looking for where God's at work. And by the way, does anybody know who the first convert in Macedonia was? It was a woman named Lydia. But what if he said, no, 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 I saw a man in my dream. You see the danger of setting your focus on what you think? Hey, there's nothing wrong with heading in a direction you believe God's leading you. I always encourage people when I come alongside of them and help them try to figure out what God's doing in their lives, whether they're in ministry or whatever. I always say, what do you think God's saying? Where do you think He's wanting you to focus? Where do you think He's wanting you to head? And if they say, well, I think He's leading me to head in this direction, I say, head in that direction, but don't think you'll end up there. But head in that direction. And folks, if you learn this journey, focusing on the journey, you'll find that this Christian life is actually kind of fun. See, because you know what? When I'm no longer responsible for the results, it takes the pressure off. I used to, every sermon, and when I finished I'd, on the drive to lunch, I'd ask my poor wife, how'd I do? Or I would judge whether or not I was successful by how many people walked the aisle afterwards. And I made myself miserable. And God said, look, Jim, you just abide in me and my words will abide in you and, and you're going to produce fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I want to encourage you as individuals in your walk with the Lord and as a church, you just focus on Jesus and loving each other. Avoid measuring results. Avoid getting focused on the destination. And you'll be in the abiding relationship. Now, I have an illustration to close this that I know will apply in this church even more than many. Because of y'all, a lot of you have a Scandinavian background. I'm actually a lot Swedish. My mother's side was Swedish. And uh, I had a great-grandmother who lived to be 102. We called her far more. Does anybody know what that means? Y'all know what that means, don't you? I share that around the country. People go, what are you talking about? For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, those of you that might be online right now listening, uh, if it was your father's mother, you call him far more. If it was your father's father, you call him far, far. If it's your mother's mother, you call him more, more. You understand what I'm saying? She was actually my great-grandmother. She was actually my mother's father's mother. We should have called her more, far, more. But we didn't get into all that. We just called her far more for the fun of it. But far more lived to be 102. She was actually born the day before they dedicated the Statue of Liberty. She didn't fly in an airplane until she was in her 80s for the first time. Amazing, amazing lady. But back when she flew on her first flight, that's back before 9-11 when you could actually go greet people at the gate when they got off the plane. The family was there to greet her and everybody was excited to meet her and hear how it went because she was petrified of flying on an airplane. She was convinced that there's no way those things can stay in the air and that it was going to crash. So when the family met her after her two-hour flight, they met her at the gate and they said, Farmore, how was the flight? She goes, it was okay. But then she leaned in and she said, but I didn't let my weight down the entire time. And they said, what? 
found out that what she did was she was afraid that if she put her full weight down, and I think she didn't even weigh 100 pounds, if she put her full weight in the seat, the plane was going to crash. So she held her rear end off the seat by riding on the armrests on her elbows most of the flight, holding herself off the seat. She got to her destination. She did not enjoy the ride. <laughs> Haven't we already quoted that he who began the good work in you will finish it? He who promised is faithful, he will surely do it. He's going to finish what he started. Why don't you enjoy the ride? Take your eyes off of how we're doing. Take your eyes off of when we're going to get there. And walk with Jesus a day at a time. And you will bear much fruit. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this passage that you've given us this morning. This encouragement. We, we have been sold a bill of goods in the church. We measure numbers and I thank you for the fact that this COVID thing has actually kind of taken that away a little bit because we know not everybody can be here for lots of different reasons. We thank you for the internet and for those who can join us. We get excited by how many people are tuning in on the computer. But Lord, that's not what you're measuring. You actually said that wide is the path that goes to destruction and many go that way. And narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Yet we talk about changing the world and worldwide revival. Lord, line us up with You and Your plan. And may Your kingdom come. And Your will be done on this earth, not ours. Father, thank You for the fact that You're gracious and You still use the Abrahams who come up with their own plans at times and make Ishmael's. There are consequences. Father, I pray in our individual walks with You, thank You that Your mercies are new every morning and that today You say to us in love, um, come on back. Let's do this abiding thing again. And I will produce fruit through You. Thank You that You will lose none that You've been given that you'll cast none away that the Father has given you. Thank you that our salvation and our eternity is secure if your Spirit's within us. But Lord, if there be anyone here today that your Spirit has revealed that their profession is not real, that today they would settle that and they would enter into that I and you and you and me relationship that we've been reading about today. Father, thank you that even though we try to do stuff for you, you still get your stuff done. That you're going to build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Encourage us with that and take away the pressure of having to produce results and teach us on a daily basis the joy of walking with you a day at a time. And as you've had me say over and over and will until I die, if we walk with you, Jesus, every single day of our life, we'll end up exactly where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. May that be the heartbeat of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.